The Frontline Podcast is brought to you by Legion Technologies. Hi, we're your hosts, Tracy Chernoff, Senior Director of Employee Engagement at Legion Technologies. And John Denton, Senior Enterprise Account Executive at Legion Technologies. Hourly employees want and need flexibility and predictability. They desire more connection and belonging with their peers and companies. And businesses want to maximize productivity while enhancing employee engagement to reduce turnover. Who said we can't have it all? The Frontline Podcast is focused on discussing the challenges that come along with having an hourly workforce and shedding light on these important employees who are often overlooked. You'll hear from leaders bringing transformational and innovative change to their organization and ways you can improve your own experience and the experiences of your employees, no matter where you sit in your organization. At Legion, we believe that intelligent automation powers Legion technology workforce management to solve these challenges. Be sure to subscribe to the Frontline Podcast so you're the first to hear our monthly episodes, which will come out every third Thursday of every month. Learn more at legion.co. Uh, follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn and get ready to be a part of the solution. Melissa Brown is joining us on the podcast this week. But before we even get into that, because we're obviously super excited for Melissa to join us, I want to introduce you to some new faces on the screen, actually a new face in general, and that is John Denton, who is the official first co-host of the Frontline podcast ever. So John, thank you so much for going on this journey with me and being here. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. Yes, of course. So welcome to 2023, everyone. We are kicking off the very second season, the very first episode of the podcast with Melissa Brown, who is the Chief Operations Officer of Concierge Elite. Her educational background includes a Master of Arts degree in Organizational and Business Management, specializing in human resources. She has several certifications in remote staffing, adult education, and training development. Melissa has over 20 years of experience sharing her expertise expertise deeply rooted in lifelong learning and her devotion to growing and developing people. She enjoys finding creative solutions to business challenges, innovating new innovative new products and developing organizational processes and efficiencies and to top it all off, she also has an amazing podcast called Understaffed, which I do have to humble, humbly plug, or with humility, plug that I was on the podcast. I'm very excited about that and it was an amazing episode. So Without further ado, welcome, Melissa. We're so glad to have you. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. <laughs> yes, and you were on the podcast. It was awesome. I enjoyed it as well. I'm glad. Thank you. Well, <laughs> we are really excited to talk about staffing challenges today and what influences really a type labor market. We've talked about this probably every single day for the last two years as a society because obviously labor markets and the labor market has been very tight it's we're seeing a ton of jobs open and a ton of people getting laid off all at the same time which brings about a lot of questions and a lot of confusion so i think a, a great place to start actually is first we we always have the same format in this podcast so i don't want to get ahead of ourselves and jumping right into the topic but I do want us to to get to know you a little bit better so we can understand why you're going to be the perfect person to walk us through this topic. So tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're located, and if you don't mind, can you share a little bit about your career journey with us and how you got to where you are today? Well, absolutely, absolutely. So I've always found myself really loving the training industry. And, and believe it or not, 
I started in the restaurant industry, sometimes you're retail, sometimes you're a restaurant, but I was in the restaurant industry and really enjoyed uh, teaching people. And I worked for a very large organization in which, believe it or not, that restaurant chain did not have a training program. So when I got in there, um, I really began to find, you know, my, my niche in training people and finding ways that we could really, uh, increase customer service and and all of those types of things that you do you do in that industry and so i found myself uh growing very quickly within that organization um becoming a general manager and then becoming a proprietor and then uh, really becoming the the lead trainer um in developing new general managers and proprietors and uh, so I loved it, but the training, the, tr the industry itself is very tough. Um, so I went, decided to go get my master's um, at an older age. I've had seven children. And so uh, I was like, okay, well, I had my children first time for my own education. Uh, so did that, went back and, and graduated with uh, honors in college and got that master's degree in organizational management, really the minor in human resources because of my love for people in training um, and developing that. Then I got brought on by a company that needed some help in their training in the veterinary field. And so began to train front desk team members um, and really kind of hone in on the how we could provide great customer service as well as increase business. You know, it's, it's great that we have great customer service skills, but if people are calling and we're never making appointments, we're defeating the purpose. Uh, so really got into that. And uh, out of that was born two businesses that I helped uh, spearhead. One is a SaaS company where we created a software that showed the customer service um, booking rates and things like that. And then uh, where I am right now as the COO and co-founder of Concierge Elite, where we really help with staffing issues. That's a little bit about me in the training industry and how I came to be. Uh, did some odds and ends, also trained uh, in the city of Fort Worth, where I'm located at the uh, municipal court and help put together their training program. So that's a little bit about me wow. and where I've been. <laughs> wow. I was, I mean, my, I was like physically like t totally shocked when you said you had seven children. I think that's incredible, but I didn't expect that because, you know, you see so much of, um, this like pressure to, you know, pick and choose. And so I really can appreciate that you've done it all. You've done both. Well, thank you. Thank you. And yes, I've, I've talked about that actually on one of my uh, podcasts. I talked about the pressure in, especially for women, uh, in the industry of really having to choose a career or children. And I think mm. that's where my passion and love for remote staffing has come from is because I don't want women to feel the pressure I did 25 years ago to have to make that decision. Um, and I am here yeah. today because of the evolving that, but also knowing that there's other options. So amazing. Amazing. Sure. Well, I'm going to, I guess I'll, I'll kick us off with the next question. I know that um, John is hungry to ask you questions as well, but I just can't help but ask the, the very first thing, which is what are the biggest challenges in staffing today from your perspective? From my perspective, I think that as business owners, business leaders, we have to rethink uh, how we hire. We have to rethink what the needs of the the people who are coming into the industry, uh, people who are wanting jobs, what their needs, wants, and desires are. And I, I continue to talk to practice owners and managers and, and, and leaders, and they're hiring the same way they did 20 years ago. They're wanting the same things that they got. Um, and 
they just are like, I can't find people. And I said, well, have you changed the way you hire? Have you changed uh, the, the benefits packages or, or all of these things? And they're, they're saying no. And I'm like, well, you're struggling because you have to rethink the industry. You have to rethink what people's needs and wants are. And so right now, I think that's one of the, the biggest struggles is getting us to think outside the box, to know that we can't do things the same way that we've always done them. Um, and, you know, we have to we have to rethink those ideas and, and thoughts. And so that's my biggest thing is the, what I love to talk about is. How do we rethink that? How do we open up new opportunities and get the right people into businesses and, and get the right employees in? Is, is that something where you feel like, uh, Melissa, that uh, Gen X coming into the workforce and millennials coming into the workforce that maybe we're just not as agile uh, in the market today as we should be? Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with it. I've done lots of studies on generational differences and how the workforce specifically, how they work differently. I mean, the the my generation, generations before me worked very differently than this generation. Uh, I think it's partially that. And I think it's partially the pandemic that we went through and the idea that, oh, I could go home and work and that works. And now I like that idea. So I think that pushed even the generation we're currently in over the curve a little bit more um, to rethink because even even myself, who's in a generation of work hard, um, you know, that's what you do. You, you go to work, you work hard, and then you, you raise your family and you do all those things. Uh, e even us went, wait a minute, I can have a family too. I can have fun as well. You mean I don't have to work, you know, five twelves <laughs> <laughs> nonstop, you know? So we started to look at priorities of our life. We started to look at uh, all of those things, but very, very specifically, it's this generation as well. They don't want the same things that uh, the generations before did. So, yeah, so it's, it's super interesting. Go ahead. Yeah. It's super interesting when you, when you bring this up, the generational differences and changes. I mean, when we think about like this podcast and who we're really keeping at the center of our thought process, right. And our concern we're, we're talking about frontline employees and, and you know, I've, it's dawning on me that when I think of frontline employees as a former frontline employee and a former manager of frontline employees, that I'm not necessarily thinking about those generational differences as much as it relates to them, but actually there is just as much of an impact generationally on a frontline worker as there is a corporate worker and or a desk, you know, a desk employee. And so when you share that, it, it does immediately make me think about how I recently went to um, a local like diner restaurant and it was amazing. The food was amazing and the service was amazing. But I don't know how the service was amazing because there was only one person working and it was a really busy weekend. And my husband and I were like, hey, man, like you're doing a great job. We see you. We know the pressure you're under. He was probably like close to my age and um, maybe a little bit younger. And the reality is, is like I wasn't thinking about how the differences in what people want generationally still applies even to mm -hmm. those who are in retail or hospitality and it's actually a really important distinction to make. Very much so. I was having a conversation with somebody who works in a flour mill and they they're in the hiring and they said, we can't get mill workers. We can't get them in. And I that's really what kind of sparked, you know, going back to that generational studies that I had been doing. And I was like, wow, you know, 20 years ago, working in a flour mill, working on an assembly line 
was normal. That was that was the job. That was the blue collar worker, right? You know, the frontline worker. And and now, man, it's like if you're not in tech and if you're not on, in, you know, an Instagrammer and you're not all of those <laughs> different things that are so popular, um, you know, it's 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 not it's not the cool job anymore. It's not it's not the necessity to work uh, as we've seen it over the years. And so that's where the conversation began is how are you trying to bring these people in? Or what are you incentivizing? What are we looking at? Have you changed your practices in 20 years to get people into those positions? And the answers were all no, but yeah, absolutely. Those are the frontline workers, right? Uh, the people mm -hmm. who made it through COVID yeah. and still were working, um, yeah. the restaurant industry, the, the retail, you know, the, the factory workers, the truck drivers, all of those. Yeah. So I think, you know, we're hitting on that generational uh, dynamic, which certainly I think we're, we all understand that's a big part of some of the turnover issues and some of the understaffing that we're seeing in the market. What are some of the things, maybe your top three things that uh, a retailer uh, or in hospitality as well could do today to kind of mitigate uh, some of these issues? I think you have to work, look very much at the schedule. I mean, if we're going to go bottom dollar, right, we're going to go in the bottom dollar, it, it, you're going to have to redefine your schedule. Um, you're going to have to provide some flexibility. I remember working in the restaurant industry and it was like, if you weren't willing to work till 2 a.m. in the morning, I couldn't hire you. Well, come on, that's that's unrealistic anymore, right? I mean, if you weren't willing to work every holiday, you know, all of these different things that we put out in the retail and in, in the restaurant industry, um, then then you just weren't a candidate. And so now we have to relook at those things. What can I do? How can I provide some out of the box thinking in my scheduling? And what can that look like? And how can I provide some work-life balance? And for those parents out there, man, I remember working Christmas days and having my five children. I mean, that's just not a life anybody really wants. And so how can we look at this differently and provide solutions to the great people out there who just want to have time with their family as well, or want to go on vacation or do those extra things? So I think the bottom one thing is our schedule, right? <laughs> Redefining what that's going to look like. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I love that you're saying this. And I want to make very clear that we did not ask Melissa to say this because we, John and I do work in workforce management after all, you know, this, this podcast is brought to you by Legion Technologies and scheduling is like our bread and butter. Yeah. But the thing is, it's, it, you know, when you said that, I was like, this is amazing because this is like what we're so passionate about that, it, it is workforce management. It is scheduling. It is understanding that flexibility and predictability are at the root of everything. And whether you're like a five person team or a 5,000 person team, like that's it. That's it. And John, I know, I know you are just dying to get into this conversation, but I wanted to make clear, we did not pay for that. And we did not yeah. ask for that. So no. that was awesome. No, you did it. <laughs> no, because it's the truth. It's the truth. And, and being in that restaurant industry and, and now running as a COO of, of a company of, I got about 65 to 75 employees. It is so important. Wow. So, yeah. It's, it's like something as, as minor as just allowing your employees to be able to swap shifts with another employee where, you know, when I was in the workforce, you know, I had to go ask my manager to do that. And maybe the manager was available. Maybe they weren't. And uh, just to be able to do that from a mobile phone and be able to see my schedules from a mobile phone is so much different. It's what I've seen is it's, it's more of an expectation at this point mm -hmm. for the Gen Xers mm -hmm. and millennials that are coming into the workforce. So like that they use their phone all day. It's funny. I saw a meme uh, the other day that said, you know, seven, I didn't realize 70% of parenting in 2023 was going to be checking my son or daughter's phone. I'm like, yeah. 
hundred percent. My, my son is 12 years old. He has his phone all the time. And it's just like, they're so savvy with technology that now if you're a retailer or a restaurant um, in the restaurant industry, and you don't have that technology, that can also be frowned upon, right? For somebody that's trying to, to, to work for you. Absolutely. And that's another one of the generational things that we have to change. Have you included technology in what you're doing? Have you advanced your technologies? I talk about that a lot in, in, in what I'm doing and in, in, in understaffed. We bring on lots of technologies because if you're not advancing in that as well, you're going to be behind before you know it. And the medical industry, you know, the veterinary industry, any industry really has to start to begin to bring in new technologies. Um, and and that means that that caters to that generation that's coming in. Like you said, it's an expectation. Again, 15 years ago in the restaurant industry, you could say, put away your phone and don't look at it during your shift because we're working. Nowadays, if you said that, they'd look at you and say, you've got, right. you know, four eyeballs. <laughs> but what you did, I mean, like, seriously, you, that's that comes out of what you're doing. But the technology is a huge part and it's, it's a huge play in what we're doing. And I, I continue to see business owners not want to grasp that. Um, mm. And I think it's super important in the generation if you're looking to hire new people. That's amazing. I, you know, I guess my, my initial question there is if you're, when you're, you're interacting with business owners and business leaders, probably more than both of us combined potentially, how, why is it that there's like a, a, a laggard effect or a late adopter approach with technology that's actually going to not only help them staff their, their teams, but also drive employee engagement. Where is that coming from? I think it's an old school way of thinking of I've done it this way. I've always done it this way and I've built a successful business this way. And so why change mm. things now? And I, I think we have to, you got to stop thinking that way. I mean, I mean, even as us personally, right. We, we, Think about, um, I'm going to progress. I'm going to learn more. I'm going to continue my education. I'm going, we're always learning. And I think you have to maintain that in, in all aspects is as you're always learning as a doctor, as a practice manager, as a leader, it, continuing to learn, you have to bring in new technologies. You have to evolve. And I, it's just, I think it's, again, it's that generational difference of I've done it this way. I've built a successful business. And so I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. Uh, maybe it's fear. I think there's a lot of fear in leadership as leaders. That's another kind of topic that I've been talking about is that we get fearful of maybe our competitors or the up and comings that are coming that they may potentially take over what we're doing. So we put up this wall of, of I'm successful in my right and I'm successful in doing what I'm doing. And so I'm going to continue doing it that way. And your newfangled way of doing things, while it may sound great, I'm, I'm going to leave that to the side. So fear could, could be driving that as well. Hmm. And I think one thing to call out too, and I, I have these conversations all the time is that, you know, it's beneficial for both parties, right? It's not just the, the company that's benefiting from having a higher, more productive employee, but uh, it's the employee that has a better work-life balance that, um, you know, they're able to, to do the things that they need to do in the personal life and work uh, when they want to work. It's, it's interesting to me, too, and I'd, I'd be uh, certainly interested to hear your perspective on this. And where, you know, 20 years ago, um, when I was in the, 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 the market myself, um, you know, I didn't really get a, a say as to when I was going to work or I was just essentially you know, ruled with an iron fist uh, to an extent, right, by the organization, whereas that 
that dynamic has changed, right? Where now the, the employees have more say in what they want to do because of the fact there is such a big turnover issue. What are some of the things that um, you know, you've seen in the market around that as well? And is that starting to shift uh, in today's market? No, I think that's that's a huge play. And, and that's why I specialize in remote staffing. I provide that flexibility for people to be able to work from home. And I really coach leaders and, and practice owners, managers, how you can provide and how you can bring in remote staffing, whether it's your own that you're looking to move into some of that flexibility or if it's if it's bringing in an outside source. But there are ways to bring in remote staffing. They're, they're proving study after study is that I mean, upwards of 85 and 90 percent um, of people want some sort of flexibility in remote staffing or, you know, telecommute, all of that sort of thing. Mm. Otherwise, they will not even consider the job. So that flexibility yeah. is that important nowadays. And then you talk about that and you say, OK, if I make this adjustment, listen, if you make that adjustment, your retention you're going to keep those people. Your turnover is going to be so much lower because they are happy. They're satisfied in what they're doing. They're content. They can take their kid to softball on Wednesday or they can go out and party on Friday, whatever that lifestyle looks <laughs> like, whatever it is, because you've provided those options and flexibility. So they feel like they have the best of every world. And so when they're happy, when your employees are happy, they stay. Uh, in our company, we have less than a 1% turnover. Uh, because we find what makes people happy and content in their life. We provide that balance for them and we're able to, to do that and, and keep them. Um, so we're really, of course, excited about that. But I talk about and show people all the time that providing some of those things, asking your employees, it's not just about throwing money at people anymore and um, signing bonuses, things of that nature. That's not what it's about again. We kind of mm -hmm. keep going back to how do we provide work-life balance? It's, it, and, and that's just the term, right? It's, but it's asking your employees, what would make you happy? What can I do to, to make this job really the perfect job for you? And I bet if you sit down and have those conversations with even your current staff, you're going to find it's small adjustments every day that will really make them happy. And again, it's well, you know, could I work four, four tens and take Wednesdays off? Or can I, you know, this would really make things better for me instead of, you know, coming in at seven, if I could take my kids to school, be here at eight, but work an additional hour, you know, it's little things every day to keep the current employees that you have. And then asking when you're look, when you finally get someone that you're interviewing, ask them, how could this be the perfect job for you? What could I do as an employer to, to make you want to work here? You know, and, and I, Man, I keep talking to people and they're, they're finding over and over again, they ask those questions. It's not about the money. Not about the oh, money anymore. Yeah. Thousand percent. I think the first time I told someone that compensation is not in like the top two, potentially not even in the top three reasons, someone, that person like looked at me like I had just <laughs> spoken crazy. a language that they had never heard before. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm serious. Like th this is just, you know, money matters. But at a certain point, you know, if you're if you're getting paid fairly, which I think I might have spoken about this either on this podcast or my other podcast, who knows which podcast came out of. But I had once said that, um, you know, everyone is entitled to fair compensation. Right. Mm -hmm. So if yeah. you're already compensating people a livable wage and a fair wage, then 
it it's everything else and even beyond that right like i think when people think of compensation they're thinking someone wants to make six figures with bonus and and all that stuff and i'm sure that most people would say yeah that's what i want right but when it comes down to you know that versus flexibility and predictability or um, being able to work a, a four-day work week or have a truly flexible schedule people are not going to pick the pay over that not anymore at least and I think it's a it's what I have seen at least even from other HR leaders is that there is a slow adoption rate I think also because there's a there's a lack of listening. Sometimes, you know, we, we ask employees questions, we send out a million surveys, we say, what can we do? And then they tell us, it's amazing, they tell us exactly what they want and we don't change. And I'm not talking about like my company, but I'm saying like in my experience, I've seen this in HR, you know, with other HR colleagues of mine, I've seen this, they're like, oh, you know, we sent out the survey, we had, you know, pretty good participation and, you know, all these themes are really clear. I just don't really know what to do about it. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't know what to do about it? You have all the answers, right? So if we know that that a huge part of the staffing challenge is flexibility and predictability, then what do we have to do to solve some of that problem? Potentially provide some flexibility and predictability. And I want to go out on a ledge and uh, think that there would be an interesting correlation potentially between the number of open jobs and the the length at which they've been open or the time that they've been open and whether or not they are remote or not or if they provide flexibility because you can have flexibility while working in an office too if you're not you know if there's flexibility ingrained in that but i wonder if there are statistics on that than not jobs that are not providing flexibility i would have to agree I would have to agree on that. And the, the business owners that I'm talking to are not providing that flexibility are, are the ones that are experiencing the highest amount of challenges, least applicants coming in, right? Just as I was talking, you know, trying to find people in the flower mill. They're like, we just can't get anybody, you know? And, and again, what are we doing differently? What are we doing differently for this generation, mm -hmm. this workforce? And I, I, I would, I'd be just as curious to you to see if there is a study on that, because I, I haven't necessarily sought that out, but just knowing, I think what we all kind of know, there's got to be that correlation between the two. Yeah. And just to kind of pivot us, I, I have two thoughts that I kind of want to present here. The first is that, you know, we often hear a lot at John and I both, I'm sure hear that, you know, well, we want to be flexible. We want to provide predictability but what about the business needs? And there's often this like juxtaposition between the business and the employee. Um, and I kind of just want to mention this again, if any listeners have not listened to this podcast before, that you can have both. Two things can be true at once. You can meet business needs and provide employees what they need and want. And so, Melissa, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. And my second, the, the other thought process here is, around coming back to this generational concept that there are so many retired veterans, mm -hmm. retirees in general, high schoolers who are looking to work maybe two days a week, maybe three, maybe one day a week. And so often businesses turn them away because it's not five days every night, every weekend, every holiday. But I mean, there's probably some benefit in opening up the doors to all folks, whether they want to work one day or five. So I, I pose that to you. The, you know, it, it's, 
I, I guess we keep going back to, you know, offering, offering the flexibility and, and we know that that's what people want. I, I mentioned before, you know, the 85% of people to 90, 90% of people are looking for that within the, within the job scope. And so I think it's a scary thing for people to wonder if they can go out on the ledge and provide that. I think that if they think back to COVID times, most businesses survived a lot of, or a lot of businesses survived when they continued business outside the workplace. Um, there are absolutely some necessities to having to stay in the office, but you keep the essential staff there. So if I was to look directly at my industry, you know, the veterinary, so you, you know, telehealth, telemedicine, all of those different things became a thing. Um, remote work is not something that just started. Okay. It, it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago when remote work really kind of came, you know, as a thing. And uh, I, I thought back and I was talking to my one of my parents the other day and I was like, you know, I think dad was like one of the first remote workers ever. <laughs> Boeing <laughs> took it on and sent, started sending people home and they thought they were getting fired. And they're like, no, no, we want to save on office space. We want to save on that expense. So go see if you can work from home. And, and like I said, this was quite a many 20 years ago. And so I think back and I was like, oh my gosh, one of the first remote workers ever. And it happened and it worked and people are productive. I think the scary thing for people is they're like, are they going to be productive? Are they going to be like sitting at their computer and then texting on the phone and then not answering when I need somebody and all of these things. But as actually surveys are showing time and time again, actually they're more productive more productive when they're able to kind of control their environment, set up a great environment, a, a great system, and really be able to control their life. Now, there are people who make terrible remote workers. Okay, I get that. Keep those people in the office. Take the ones who are go-getters, who are people who, you know, have that initiative already to work hard and, and do well. And put those people in that remote setting. Um, so the, the people who don't want to do that, that's probably not what they're looking for anyways, right? They want to work 12 hours a day and then have Friday off. So, you know, you again, you ask and you adjust, but don't let fear um, of what might happen take over. You may fail. I get it. You know, it may not work um, in your current situation, but try it. Try and see what happens and... Uh, those people who are going to be productive, let them be productive because they will do that in another environment as well and probably be more productive. People who are answering the phones, receptionists, um, doing that from home is absolutely possible. How do I know? Because that's what I do every day. Your phone system will allow it. <laughs> your your technology can is advanced already to that aspect. Uh, and then I always say to those owners who are worried about it is again, there's technologies out there that can monitor your workers from home. So if you really are worried about their productivity, what they're doing, if they're staying on task, all of those things, if you're paying them, uh, just put in the technologies that help monitor that. Do we think that just going back on that and just, I'm just trying to understand this myself a little bit. Is it because there's just a lack of trust, um, that is really causing that? Are we managing to a lack of trust as opposed to managing to trust? Right. And yeah people more or less, maybe they just always go to the lack of trust, right? As opposed to moving to the trust. Is that, is that kind of just where, where we are? I think so. I, I, I think so. I think uh, again, that fear, fear in leadership or fear that, you know, it's, it's not going to work or that I can't trust you. Um, you know, it's easy to micromanage. I mean, we talked about those leaders, mm -hmm. right? It's very easy to micromanage and make sure that you're on them. And 
well, what happens when I send them home? I can't micromanage like that anymore. So then my insecurities as a leader comes out and all of those things fall apart because I'm not right there with my finger on the pulse. Let people be good at what they're good at. Let them, let them shine. Let people bloom to their potential. And sometimes that's just letting your finger off, you know, <laughs> of, of that pulse, right? Yeah. So to that end, it, where does kind of, you know, wh where should I spend most of my time? Is it, is it upstream with the, the leadership skills and ensuring that we're starting to, to learn those skills and how we should manage our teams? Or is it downstream and, and maybe from a technology perspective and ensuring that my employees have the appropriate tools? Or is it both, right? It's um, both. Yeah. If we're not if we're not evolving ourselves as leaders, if we are not bettering ourselves, if we're not growing our, you know, ourself and and all of those things, if we're not taking a look in the mirror, we can't manage the others. True. We can't do it because then we have no trust. We're constantly in fear of our own positions. We're constantly in fear of what could and would and should is going to happen. Right. And, and we're, we've really become ineffective as a leader. So when we continue to grow ourselves, develop ourselves and, and become secure in what we're doing, then we're going to be able to trust and build other people and say, listen, I'm going to put these, these things, these safeguards into place, but I trust you. And I know that you're going to do the best, you know, the best job again, then it's that, are we providing what they want that work-life balance? And if we are again, how many studies do you need? There are a lot of them out there. People can go online all day and read the studies of how productive people are being. Uh, these large corporations did it. They went out and they put they let people stay home and found, wow, okay, this works. You know, um, in the medicine side, if you could do it from home, you know, and they're continue to to evolve that technology, you gotta know that it's going someplace. So just take a look yeah. at how, how the world's moving and the workforce is moving. Yeah, that's really interesting. When you were talking about the technology side of things, I was thinking so much about how, you know, AI has been a huge topic of discussion um, in general, but especially in some states we're seeing that um, legislation is coming out regarding AI and hiring and that there are some um, actions looking to, you know, that politicians are looking to make to reduce um, the likelihood or the ability for companies to leverage AI within hiring. Specifically, we're seeing this in New York City um, coming out of um, legislation. So, you know, I bring this up because I think that this is definitely going to be something that we see in 2023, at least see more of. And, you know, coming back to this concept of fear, there is this unspoken fear for people with ad uh, artificial intelligence, advanced technologies, you know, scientific advancements in general. And mm -hmm. I, I think that when we think about hiring specifically and staffing, there's, there are like the two schools of thought that like, I'm terrified of it. I don't want to have AI touch any of my hiring processes at all. And then there's the other school of thought that is saying, well, you know, I don't have enough time, I don't have the bandwidth, so I need, I need science, I need a computer to help me in sifting through all of this information. And in the middle, in bo on, within both schools of thought, you have a lack of human connection because the person that's like, I don't want AI anywhere, is not getting back to hundreds of people because they're not able to see all of those applications. And then on the other side, AI is a computer and there isn't a human interaction depending on the level at which 
um, the computer is involving themselves. Now, I will caveat that um, it's their AI would still be allowed in hiring. It's just that the government is looking to um, impart some regulation so that if you do use AI, that it's unbiased and that you're removing or instilling parameters that remove bias from the process and that if you don't, you get fined. So I can certainly in the show notes add some links to, to the <laughs> listeners so they can learn more. Um, but, you know, I just think it's so perplexing that we have like two schools of thought that are equally probably afraid of one thing or another and end up with a very similar outcome sometimes that there is still a lack of human connection. So how do we, how do we reconcile that? How do we find the perfect middle ground and getting through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of applications in some industries per job while also giving those applicants a, a connection that they need to feel like they were seen and considered for a role? I mean, such a, such a good and loaded question, right? And I think there's, there's so much still unknown um, in this. And I think that we talked about, right, the, the fear of technology, the fear of adding things in, and we're kind of having to grasp what's what's out there right now and learn more about it and, and really dig in. And I think I've been a, I can see both sides as well. I can, I feel like I've been a victim of AI hiring, <laughs> you know, where my application, I've been perfectly qualified. It's like the perfect fit. And because you haven't keyworded properly, your application is out and nobody's even taken a look at you. And so there's people out there who've been victim of that. And so I'm like, sometimes I'm like, where's the old school paper application that I can just bring to you, <laughs> you know, if I'm local and, and show you who I am. So, you know, there's that scary thought and there's those big sites out there and those big sites do millions of applications a day and you do, you get lost, you get lost. And that's unfair mm -hmm. for really, really qualified people. Um, so I think that there's a ways to go in that where there is a fairness where people are seen. Um, because again, I, I feel that side. I've, I've been victim to putting applications in and never, ever, ever getting a response. And so you lose that human connection. You, you lose the ability to understand how you can be better as a, you know, someone who's out in the job market. And of course you're really looking for something. Um, and then I'm on the other side too, where, you know, the technology um, and we're continuing to look at how we can incorporate it into uh, the type of employees that we hire. And we're calling it like the superhuman. How can we incorporate and not lose the receptionist position, uh, you know, the front desk, but include AI so that we're really coming up with the best of both worlds um, and, and really providing an employee who's well-versed in all of it so that we can do more and bigger and better things. So one side, like you said, I think that there does need to be in hiring, there needs to be some parameters put around it. I do think there still needs to be a human element. So if you're a business that are using those big giant um, hiring agencies, I think you still need to you know, be human about it. Look at those applications, provide responses, uh, even if they're, you know, not what you're looking for. Use some of the tools, but realize mm -hmm. that they're not going to tell you everything. Uh, so don't rely heavily on them at this point in time, because they're, I don't think they're evolved that much yet uh, or enough. Um, and then if you're on the other side, learn them, incorporate them into what you're doing, because it's going to make you more effective and efficient. So there's both, right? I don't know there's a clear answer right now, but <laughs> those are some of my thoughts on AI. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because 
I see the value of AI in so many areas of life. I mean, it's what John and I are, do for a living, right? We talk all about how, you know, intelligent automation enables our solutions at Legion. And, um, and it really does. And I think, you know, I actually recently wrote an article for, uh, um, I don't know if it was for Legion or for LinkedIn. I just, apparently I have no memory anymore, um, at least from before 2023. That's how 2023 is going for me so far. I can't remember anything. Um, however, what I wrote in the article is that we have been using AI for decades. I mean, when it comes to like even uh, chatting Expedia, when you need help with one of your bookings, like that's AI. When you're... Um, looking scrolling through netflix and all of a sudden you're you have the perfect match to a perfect show just like all of the other shows that you've loved like that's not just because netflix is programmed for each individual it's machine learning and so i think that part part of the um, dispelling of fear does come in the education which is true in all areas of the world right with anything the more we know about something the more we understand we can how we can implement it, the more likely we are to be less afraid of it. And I think it, it probably is uh, well positioned considering our discussion today and how much we've talked about that. Um, before we kind of wrap up, I want to see, John, do you have any other questions for Melissa? Because I think I have spoken enough. <laughs> Uh, no, but it's been great. Uh, very insightful, Melissa. I really appreciate um, you walking us through that. Hopefully this is very uh, helpful for, for listeners as well. But, uh, you know, just maybe one last question. If I'm an organization where I am currently antiquated, I, I'm really top down heavy, right? Um, I'm having some of the issues we've talked about today. Um, I'm having high turnover, maybe even over 100% at this point, having issues. Uh, I'm understaffed at all my, my stores, right? Um, what are the top three things where I would want to get started uh, to look at um, with Melissa, Melissa's team? <laughs> well, um, I do consulting in that and I do provide some free consultations so I can meet with a practice um, manager, owner, leader, you know, what, whatever it is in your industry um, and really kind of talk to you and evaluate your current situation and then make some suggestions based off of that. I've got um, lots of tools, lots of partners that we partner with in, in those tools um, to be able to help out just depending on where you're at and what you're looking at. If you're looking at bringing in remote staffing or recruiting and wondering if that is uh, the, the avenue for you, we can also help with that. You can go to conciergeelite.com, um, all one word, and check us out there. You'll be able to see my about page, learn more about me and what I do and what our team does. But at least let us get in there and give you an evaluation um, and talk about where you currently are now and where you can go and if this is the right avenue for you. And if it does, we can talk about the five steps really that you can take to um, to begin recruiting on your own, um, looking at international, if you want to go across borders, if you want to stay local, all of those different things, how you can do it, how your ads can stand out among the others, um, different things that we can do with you there. And I can speak with you about that. And if it's something you want to stay hands off and you just need some employees, we can be um, the relief for you and help you with that while lowering your um, overhead and increasing your ROI. So we really focus on the numbers as well. So we're not going to just provide you a staff member. We're going to provide somebody who's increasing your business. So again, that's conciergeelite.com or melissa.b at conciergeelite.com. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you so much. And you can check out Melissa's podcast, Understaffed, 
anywhere. I think you're available on all streaming platforms from what I saw. So naturally, every podcast should be on every streaming platform. So you can catch her there. And all of the links will be in the show notes as well for anyone looking to connect with Melissa, learn more about Concierge Elite, connect with myself and John, get Melissa's podcast. There are so many links in the show notes. So um, have a good time with those links. Click all of them. Um, Melissa, thank you so much for this amazing discussion today and for being a part of the very second season and very first episode of the podcast. Yes. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.